Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Florida Prospect Report. I'm your co-host, Bailey, here with my co-host, Eric. And today's episode, we're just going to be talking about the state of Major League Baseball and what we've seen down here so far in Florida at the minor league camps. So as everyone now knows, the lockout is officially over. Uh, you know, it's very exciting development for uh, fans, of course. Um, I'm looking forward to be, uh, to going to some spring training games later this month. And I think it was a pretty good agreement for both sides. Uh, you know, I was hoping the players would get uh, the best possible deal. And while obviously they didn't get the best possible deal, I think there were a lot of uh, really good improvements that were made. And um, specifically something that I think is being underrated uh, in terms of like the CBA agreement is that in 2023, every team will play against every other team in baseball. So like currently the Orioles and Marlins will play each other once every three or four years starting next year, they will be playing each other every single year. And because of that, there will be less divisional matchups. So the Orioles will play the Yankees less, the Red Sox less, the Rays less, the Blue Jays less. And I just think that's a really uh, underrated improvement from the CBA agreement. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on the deal? Uh, hi, Bailey. Happy birthday. Thank this you. is our first show with you as, uh, as an 18-year-old. So I guess welcome to unofficial adulthood where uh, everyone is very happy for you. And uh, oh, to answer your schedule, uh, to answer your question about the schedule, I completely agree. And I don't want to play as much as I like all the teams in the division. I don't want to play them 19 times and play someone else zero or three or six times and, and continue with an uh, unbalanced schedule. I'd like it to be closer to even. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the collective winning percentage of the ALEs teams. I just like balance in, in everything. So why not have balance in opponents and how many times you play them also? So I totally agree and think that is, has been very underreported. But as the season goes on and people look at the schedule and realize not this year, but next year, like, well, I didn't play the Rays. The Orioles didn't play the Rays 19 times. What's up with that? Then it'll be a little more current. But there are parts of the collective bargaining agreement that uh, – that we'll delve into and look into in further detail, like down the road. But I'm with you. I'm glad it's over. And now the part of baseball that we like, the minor league aspect, has that target, the, uh, the majors. And, uh, you know, like minors and major league camps are going on. So it's kind of like a good baseball circle is, is, is back and not, we're not like waiting for it anymore. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's pretty funny about the, the CBA, if you want to call it funny, was all the reporters, the second, you know, there was an agreement, were like, okay, buckle in at six o'clock. There's going to be all these moves happening. And as we all know, we were on Twitter waiting for updates to be posted and nothing happened. You know, for the first like 24 hours after the new agreement, there were no, no moves. But, uh, you know, finally, uh, in the days since, there have been some pretty big signings. So, you know, in terms of free agency, two big pitchers uh, went to the NL West, one of which was re-signing, Clayton Kershaw, a one-year deal. And then Carlos Rodon, on a two-year deal, went to the Giants. So how do you feel about that Rodon signing, joining a rotation with Webb, Wood, Cobb, and Di Sclafani? Well, 
I think the Giants are uh, doing the smart thing by trying to capitalize on starting pitching uh, depth and striking while the iron is hot. And uh, I guess in terms of like baseball, roster management, and so many other things like in life, I like the idea of enhancing a separating strength. So they already have good rotation. So why not go to see if they can expand from, from good to great and, and see if those innings from Rodon will, will make a difference. I don't know how much I feel about that, that possibility coming true, but he's a good pitcher and he's not overpaid. I think it's a, a, a fair value for both sides and, and a good rate for him. So uh, they're not like my, my other orange and black team that I care for, but I do like to see the, the Giants somewhat successful and I do respect their rivalry uh, against the Dodgers. So as they finalize their rosters and like figure out how they're going to start the season and add on during the season, I like it that they're both kind of like battling each other. I think that's, that's like one of those good for baseball type things. Definitely. Yeah. With Gosman gone, you know, that makes the Rodon signing that much more important. Uh, but, he ended up with more money than he would have if Chicago extended him a qualifying offer as that would have been 18 million. He ended up with 22 million a year for the next two seasons. Times two. And, right. Exactly. And the, you know, before the signing, Tyler Beatty was the third, uh, the number five pitcher in San Francisco. And I, I actually like um, Beatty's upside if he can stay healthy. But, you know, you, if you can, if you have the opportunity to add a guy like Rodon to the rotation, you definitely take it. And the other thing in that same light is that Rodon, Alex Wood, and Alex Cobb, while all really good pitchers, also have injury histories. So if one of them goes down, Tyler Beatty, can step up and join the rotation. And speaking of Gosman, uh, a pitcher joined Gosman's rotation in Toronto, and that's Yusei Kikuchi signing a three-year, $36 million deal. And I really like that signing for the Blue Jays, especially since, you know, they already have a couple other pitchers like Gosman and Barrios at the top of the rotation. I think Kikuchi's a really good back end of the rotation guy. I am not a Blue Jays fan, but that's an outstanding move. And I totally agree. And that's like not even considering their young offensive core that rivals any in the entire sport. So I don't know how long these moves will or Toronto's youth will continue to develop and blossom for, but they're certainly adding on corresponding parts that are going to make it very difficult to beat them in a series. So thanks for reminding me. Kikuchi is, <laughs> and that's an even better value. I think Kikuchi for the years and the money, the, the Jays got themselves a talented player at a very, very baseball friendly or team, team friendly rate for 2022. So good for them, but not really good for them. Right. And imagine if he goes the Robbie Ray route and is a Cy Young candidate, you know, if Toronto works their magic. So, I mean, who knows? Right. And, uh, you know, before we talk about the, the bigger trades, there's one more uh, or actually two more signings I want to talk about, especially for people listening who are into fantasy baseball. First off, Andrew McCutcheon to the Brewers, really under the radar signing, but he's going to be a starter there. And I think he's going to rake at a I'm still calling it Miller Park. And um, so if, you, if you're any in any leagues, we can get him cheap. 
I would definitely uh, acquire McCutcheon. And then today, a couple hours ago, Colin McHugh signed with the Braves. Love that signing. He was one of those underrated relief pitchers in baseball last year. And it's kind of crazy because I feel like every time the Braves sign someone, it's like, how did they get him so cheap? Like Yimmy Garcia, Brad Hand, guys like that got more money than McHugh. And I mean, I think McHugh is worth, you know, at least like 10 million. I mean, he was really good last year and he's going to factor in definitely for some holds in Atlanta and maybe even some saves if Will Smith doesn't hold on to the job. This is the part of baseball that makes me the most jealous. The Braves are selling potential employees on their success because they have it. The video today from Twitter with Matt Olson walking in, I didn't see any, any of the video except the part of the glass door when it closed that said 2021 World Series champions. So, you know, I, I am totally jealous of winning teams and the things they do to stay good and attract talent. And I'm jealous of the Braves for, for being that good. I want the Orioles to be doing similar things and acquiring uh, similar talents. So actually, while we're looking at that, what do you think about the, the return for rebuilding Oakland for Olsen? You know, we talk about prospects all the time. Um, we know the Braves system pretty well. So what do you think of the ones who went from Atlanta to – uh, Oakland, Joey Astis, Shea Langoliers, uh, and Kristen, Pat Kristen Pash. Yeah, and Ryan Cusick, too. I mean, it makes me a little disappointed because there are, are reports that the Rays were the runner-up in the Olsen trade talks, and I'm thinking, man, if that's what Oakland took, I mean, I, I really wish the, you know, the Rays would have made a, a one more push. But, you know, I don't hate the return. Um, I don't love it either if I'm an Oakland fan. I think I think uh, the two guys I like the most in the deal are the two pitchers, Cusick and Estes. Absolutely. Especially Estes. I think he can be a, a really good pitcher, especially in Oakland's development uh, staff. Uh, you know, in the Langoliers, I, don't, I mean, there are people who are saying that that means Sean Murphy's on the way out and Langoliers is the, the new catcher in town. I'm not sure if I buy that. And not because I, of Soderstrom. I think Soderstrom is going to get moved off of catcher. I still think Murphy's the guy there. I'm not sold on Langleyers. I think obviously he could be the starter in a couple of years, but I don't think it's a, uh, you know, a done deal. And then that brings us to the, the headliner, Christian Pache. I was really high on him in 2018 when I saw him play twice in Kissimmee. He looked really good both times, both offensively and defensively. And obviously while he's shown that gold glove upside in the major leagues, he has not yet shown the propensity to hit so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if the A's can turn Pache into, you know, a Ramon Laureano light kind of guy. And if they could, you know, then it's probably a decent deal for both sides. But, I mean, if I were the A's, I would have just given Matt Olson an extension. But that's not how the A's operate. I don't like the return at all. And I don't think that Pache is a true headliner for a 900 OPS uh, hitter in Olsen. And I also, uh, I don't know that Langoliers is worthy of the number that's next to his name in prospect list. And someone, and I can say that because this is my whole life and what I study and pay attention to every day. It's not a bad thing to be an organization's number 10 or number 12 prospect at all. So to me right now, 
that deal was Matt Olson for a major league player, a minor league player, and two pitchers with major league upside. So I guess you and I kind of see the deal as the same. Uh, you know, Matt Olson hit 40 home runs last year. There's just not that many guys who can do that. So I'm going to say, even if Pache is a good defensive player and a, and a starter and can blossom in the large outfield that he can take control of, and maybe that'll help his bat. And even if like best case scenario things happen for Oakland, I don't see that as really fueling their rebuild, maybe just kind of helping it along. And they got rid of one of their best assets to do it. So I'm going to give that trade a C minus for Oakland. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad we agree on that. Cause you know, I just, I feel like they could have done better. I don't know. I just, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but you know, I'm not crazy about it. And speaking of trades, I'm not crazy about the reds making headlines and not, not in a good way. They made two trades this week, uh, past, you know, two or three days, actually. And I don't know how to feel about it. First off, Sonny Gray, uh, he was traded to Minnesota for Chase Petty and another player. And I actually, I don't hate that trade. Uh, I do like Petty. I like the idea of selling high-ish on Sonny Gray because I think there's a chance that he's reached his ceiling and he is, you know, a little pricey. Um, and it opens up the rotation for a guy like Lodolo or Green, and you get a good pitcher like Petty. So I can understand that trade to an extent. Then when you combine it with the Winker deal, that's when you kind of lose me because now it just seems like you're trying to just get rid of any player making over $3 million on your club. Because, like, well, you know, they traded Jesse Winker, who's statistically one of the best hitters in baseball over the last three years, for – not much. I mean, Brandon Williamson is a top 100 prospect in my eyes. And, you know, they also are reportedly getting a player to be named later who's supposed to be kind of solid. But that's it. I mean, they got Justin Dunn, who would have been a really nice uh, player to get, you know, two years ago. He's right. But, I mean, I, I think the – at least in my head, the ship, is ship, a ship has sailed on uh, the Justin Dunn camp. So, I mean, maybe he'll be that's a reliever. But I don't, I don't think he's going to crack the rotation. So just seems like a salary dump. And they gave away Eugenio Suarez, who, you know, obviously has been slumping the past year, but he was also hurt. So, I mean, did, did they really need to get rid of his contract? I don't think it was that bad of a contract. So just seems like, you know, the Reds won 83 games last year. They would have made the playoffs. That, if, if That's it was right. That's the, the big point. They're trying to rebuild, and they're not doing it that well in first gear. But they might not even need to right now. Right. That's the worst part. That's the worst part. So I guess we'll like pay attention to their winning percentage as the season goes on. But it now all their major league assets are are, are liquidated. So it's not gonna be it's not gonna be good no matter what. So right. I remember when the Orioles liquidated their assets for nothing and how awful it made me feel, and how right then I knew, like, ooh. Manny Machado is going to be good for the next five years. Ooh, Yusnel Diaz is not. Yep. So I, I, as, a, as a baseball fan, it's, it's probably the lowest you can feel without losing something of significant, like a game or yeah. a series of, of significance. So I certainly feel for the for Reds fans. We had Justin Rock on. He talked about their system. Their system's much better than people think. So maybe that fact is, is fueling their desire to rebuild but you said it man 83 wins last year I don't, I don't smell it 
You know, they still had a couple pieces and could put things together. So I guess I'm always like down with rebuilding, but it's got to be the right set of circumstances, uh, like no matter what. Right. Yeah. I mean, at least in the Orioles case in 2018, they clearly were, uh, you know, heading in the wrong direction as a, as a franchise. I don't think they should have moved Machado, but I understand why they would move some of the other guys they traded. But like the Reds were in the playoff race as late as like August. And like now you're going to get in 2022, you're going to get Tyler Stevenson for the full season, Jonathan India, you know, and they could have brought back Castellanos, especially now at the designated hitter. Like, you know, keep Tyler Molle, keep Luis Castillo, keep Sonny Gray, you know, have Lodolo and Green waiting in the wings, sign another hitter or two, they would have made the playoffs. And like, it just, it just seems really disingenuous from their ownership, uh, which, you know, I know Reds fans, unfortunately, are not even surprised by at this point, but, you know, it's a tough team to root for. Um, but in other news, there was a trade that, uh, you know, I feel like it's kind of flown under the radar. It happened on Saturday. And I really like this trade for the team that got the major leaguer. And that is uh, the Mets. They got Chris Bassett and all they had to give up was JT Ginn and Adam Aller. Uh, kind of similar to the Sonny Gray trade, except uh, Chris Bassett's only on a one-year deal. But, you know, I, as a team that's competing and has DeGrom and Scherzer at the top of your rotation, and now you have the ability to add an all-star like Chris Bassett, it's a no-brainer, especially when – you know, the best player you're giving up is JT Ginn, who is good, but also has already had Tommy John surgery once, and he's not going to be able to help you till at least 2024. So, you know, for a team competing, it's a no-brainer. Totally agree. I like Chris Bassett infinitely more than I like Sonny Gray. When just looking at 22, much, uh, much more. And I also like Ginn probably a lot more than most prospect people. I, I do have faith in his recovery, but you're right. It's not anytime soon. So Mets, do a deal in your window for a prospect that's not going to adversely affect your entire farm. And then our could end up end up as something good too. So I guess it's a, a good deal for, for the team that, that got those two. But also, you know, the Mets are going to be good. And this is adding to a strength. I actually don't do fantasy that often, but I have Bassett. I love his innings. He's a guy that I, he's a guy, a starting pitcher, that, like a species I don't trust at all, but I do trust him. So, you know, good on, good on the Mets, their roster, the more and more you look at it, the more it's, it's really loaded. Like if you want to look at who's the have and have nots in, in baseball, the Mets roster says they're, they're a true have. Definitely. And, you know, I almost feel like if Chris Bassett, played for a different franchise he'd be more like well known and, and everyone would be like okay this is a really good player Fair. You know? uh so i feel like that's just such a good uh trade by the mets and uh, you know there have been a you know a decent amount of trades and free agent signings uh that have been made this week and i think the last one i'd like to touch on uh as of the recording of this episode because i'm sure tomorrow morning we're gonna wake up to even more news but um the big one that happened this weekend that we haven't talked about yet was the Isaiah Kiner Falefa trades? He was traded to Minnesota, uh, and was there for all of like 36 hours. He was traded for Mitch Garver, by the way. Uh, which interesting deal. Kind of, I kind of like that for the for the Rangers a lot. Me um, too. 
And then the Twins flipped Kiner Falefa to the New York Yankees with Ben Rortvet, and they got back Gary Sanchez and Giorgio Also, They flipped him with Josh Donaldson and his massive contract. And I, I kind of like the trade in the sense that Yankees fans don't like it. Um, I actually don't – I don't think it's that – bad of a trade i think they might be giving up on urshela too soon and i but i know i know some yankee fans personally don't like that they waited this long to trade sanchez and are now getting kind of a light return when they could have traded him you know 2018 2019 for a massive return but um i don't think it's that bad you know they're willing to pay donaldson's contract if he's healthy he'll hit 30 plus home runs but uh i think the real winner here objectively is the rangers you trade a guy like isaiah kiner falafa who doesn't fit in long-term with, you know, Simeon and Seager in the middle infield mix. And you're going to get Mitch Garver, who, you know, is on the wrong side of 30, but I think he's got at least two or three good years of catcher left in him. So I really like that trade for the Rangers. I never like giving up a player with that kind of versatility because he really truly, Connor Falefa can not hurt you and, and help you at many positions but when it comes to offense and true overall value I would probably rather have a starting catcher that I depend for 135 games than a player that's that versatile as far as the Yankees and their part in it I totally agree about Gary Sanchez but all those fans that are griping yo you could have him right now he could be your starting catcher going into this year so be happy that you dealt him at all as a prospect person, I followed Gary Sanchez's ascension. I thought this dude was going to be an absolute Hall of Famer. So the second I realized, like, whoa, this track is just about done, we're at plateau, I would have, I would have jumped and traded him then too. But you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a fan with a podcast. I don't run the Yankees, so it, it, he's getting anything back for what Gary Sanchez is now, is, is 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 kind of a victory i agree and um you know the rangers have kind of had a hole at catcher for the past couple of seasons after robinson chirinos left you know right. jonah heim was slotted to be the starter before garver came to town but i think garver will be a top 10 catcher this year i really do i think that's a sneaky pickup by texas i think they texas still has more moves left in them i think they're still going to add another pitcher not that it's they have available but it's you know it's weird that you mentioned those two names because the Orioles just signed Robinson Torinos like five days ago and they are, are the team that originally drafted Jonah Hunt. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of good starting pitchers left on the, on the market, but wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers went out and traded for one. And I think they could still sign another bat, you know, especially with a 12-team playoff. Maybe there's a chance that the Rangers sneak in as the sixth seed. You know, they, I mean, they signed, you know, they made the two big splashes with Simeon and uh, Seager, and they also added John Gray. So I think anything's possible. Um, but, you know, for now, those are, those are the most of the, the big moves. There's, of course, some other uh, signings and trades of note, you know, Brad Boxberger to the Brewers, Nelson Cruz to the Nationals. Uh, so, you know, definitely keep, uh, keep track on Twitter of uh, all these moves that are going down because uh, there will be more that are made this week. And shifting gears, uh, we've been at minor league camp uh, this week, and I, it was great to be back. You know, good to have baseball back. I haven't been 
and to a spring training, you know, stadium for spring training since 2020, because I didn't go at all last year. So it felt good to be back there on Sunday. I was at uh, Marlins minor league inner squad. And uh, there was two inner squads. I got to see the low A guys versus the high A guys and the double A guys versus the triple A guys. It was great. And if you're just, you know, like a fan like me who wants to just go, definitely recommend it's free. And if you like to get autographs, the Marlins, you know, that's the perfect place to go. There's not uh, not big, um, that not that big of a crowd and a lot of really good prospects there. Uh, in terms of what I saw, uh, the most notable play would be Christian Rodriguez hitting a home run. Um, I didn't see many pitchers of note, unfortunately. I went on a day when Yuri Perez, Dax Fulton, and Max Meyer were all not throwing. But, you know, good to see a guy who I've never seen play before, Christian Rodriguez, uh, do something exciting. And um, something else that was that kind of caught my eye, Ian Lewis, who's a really exciting prospect, put up really nice numbers in the FCL. He struck out on three pitches, and it was a uh, not a good at-bat, just looked pretty overmatched. And lo and behold, uh, some guy named Jazz Chisholm was there watching with me. And after he struck out, uh, Chisholm walked over to the dugout and I was talking with Lewis for a little bit. So it's just, you know, for a guy who's so young like Jazz Chisholm, you know, taking time out of his day to watch the Marlins minor leaguers scrimmage and then give, you know, constructive criticism to the players. that Like that is a bona fide leader right there because there are no other major leaguers watching these games. It was just Jazz. So. Uh, that that was my biggest takeaway, that the Marlins have found themselves a true leader. How did it feel for you to be back at, like, in a baseball environment at all? It felt great. You know, my dad, he, he pointed out something that was kind of interesting to me. Like, this is Sunday when I was there. It felt like the most normal that we felt at a, at a baseball game since, like, February 2020. Because even in March, when, when I saw Rutschman and Jupiter, you know, first week of March, there were people, you know, talking about coronaviruses, coronavirus, that, you know, well, you know, uh, who was it? One of the players, I don't want I might have been Jesus Aguilar or uh, no, maybe Brian Anderson. I don't remember the name. I don't want to say the wrong player, but there was a player who did not sign uh, because of uh, the pandemic. He was like, oh, I, you know, I have to socially distance from you guys. Kind of bugs me that I can't remember who it was now. Uh, I'm probably going to remember after the podcast, but, you know, it was still a thing. I know you will. uh, March 2020. And, um, you know, but and then, of course, last year I was going to games, but the majority of them I had to have a mask on. And, uh, you know, there was still social distancing. There were autograph restrictions, stuff like that. So it just, you know, uh, yeah, Sunday, it just felt kind of normal again. Obviously, you know, the pandemic's not over, but, you know, it feels good to have some sense of normalcy back. Uh, and it was really good just to get a bunch of autographs, meet a bunch of players. Um, I met pretty much everyone I was hoping to meet except Max Meyer. Uh, you know, I don't know if Max Meyer was actually at the camp because I feel like I got a glimpse of him leaving when I was on the other side of like the, the complex area. Like I saw someone with long blonde hair going into the clubhouse. I was like, did I just miss him? But pretty much everyone else. I mean, Khalil Watson, uh, Jazz Chisholm who I wasn't expecting to be there, Yuri Perez. I mean, I just, you know, it was just so cool to be up close and personal with all those guys, especially, you know, just, I mean, it was free. I didn't, you know, unlike spring training, I, you can just walk right in. And another cool little tidbit from, you know, just interacting with the guys. I was talking with Dax Golden and um, 
I was like, hey, I went to so many Hammerhead games last year. I felt like every time I went, you weren't pitching. And it was funny because he was like, yeah, that's probably true because they would always schedule me to pitch in the uh, beginning of the week, like a Monday or a Tuesday. And uh, if, if you live down here, you know that uh, Roger Dean Stadium is not open on Mondays, Tuesdays, or Wednesdays to the public. So, uh, you know, it's, it's like they didn't want us to see him pitch, but really nice guy. So it was great to meet him. And I uh, also got to see uh, Joe Fasaro make a cameo at, at, the, at the Marlins scrimmage. So it was nice to meet him. And uh, yeah, it was just a really nice time. Ironically, while you were watching the Marlins, I was at Orioles camp with our number one Marlins fan and Marlins correspondent, Stouffer Cochran. And uh, so I got to meet the Prospects 1500 crew that's like, touring Southwest Florida. So uh, we watched an Orioles intra-squad scrimmage together. And that was a lot of fun. We talked about like what we do, what we look at, what we observe. Um, talked about stars. I got to like take a picture with them. I never even do that. So it was like a, like a fun day, like a fun excursion type thing. So uh, the guy who runs 1500, Scott was talking about coming down for a while. And then when things were not, locked in schedule wise he thought he was not going to and then they did so it was good to uh connect <clears throat> connect at all um i guess like in 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 matching you like you went to the to the marlins i've been going to the orioles just about every single day except for sunday it was like 30 degrees in the morning so some of the things that i'm seeing now that it's like it's it's just about the entire minor league organization, save for the handful of non-roster invitees that are with uh, the major league Orioles. So I'm seeing uh, which pitchers are getting regular work, which catchers are getting like catchers work and which catchers are just catching bullpens, which uh, teams are kind of sort of divided up together, like in what affiliates, Aberdeen, Delmarva, uh, Bowie, and Norfolk for double and triple A. So it's a lot of good information, uh, very valuable. The drills that I'm seeing now are more catcher specific because that's who's close to me. And uh, I guess the names that have really stood out over the last couple of days are not the biggest names in the organization. Uh, really the best pitcher that I saw uh, yesterday, the best two were kind of rookie league guys that are going to ascend this year, uh, a righty Juan De Los Santos and a, a lefty kind of a junk baller type guy, uh, Edward Monroy. So it was great to see them at all, you know, it, 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 you know, getting their schedule in with regular work. And I was just very happy to see them fooling hitters so early in the season. Uh, De Los Santos is a guy with outstanding movement, especially righty on righty. I mean, I've seen righties right-handed hitters legs just just stop and give up like before the pitch begins it's it's true tunnel so if he can snap it up like three or four miles per hour he's really going to be forcing a, a lot of a very difficult swing decisions so it was awesome to see that on, on on his first day like that if i was going through like what i would want for every single guy what i would want from him is to turn his 91 into 94 and and try to get guys out that way. So that was really interesting uh, for me. 
there's been a lot of uh, players' families coming by, so they're happy to see their, uh, their kids. Uh, today, I met John Manuel, one of the, my favorite writers from, from Baseball America, who's been like writing about minor league prospects and kind of like got me into this whole idea or phase of, of, of life. So it was awesome to speak to like an unintentional mentor about baseball athleticism and subjects like that. I started following. So I imagine like I'm going to have conversations with this guy in the future, which is just like just totally awesome. It's like finding your favorite author at a bookstore or like a book signing. So that was, that was so, so cool for me. And another thing, I guess like this is my podcast too. So now's a great time to say this. You were talking before about uh, Max Meyer and uh, not realizing if you saw him or maybe you saw him and didn't recognize him. I would like to take an opportunity right now to say that there is no media guide. There's no book. There's no roster. There's no jerseys with their name on it for the Oriole players that I watch. So I get one wrong just about every single day and I'm hard on myself for it. But uh, I do realize that I'm doing it and it is like a cost of doing business type mistake and I hate making it. So please in the future, understand if I called you the wrong name, like today I called catcher Ryan Ogren, Chris Hudgens. If I do something like that, it is very obviously unintentional and it's a, a mistake because I can't exactly tell who you are. Not an excuse in any way, just a rationalization for how I sometimes make that mistake, or I consistently make uh, make that mistake. Now, uh, uh, back to you at Marlins camp, there was a, a top prospect that you saw that I've never seen play in person, uh, Khalil Watson. So what did you see him doing and how did he look? So before I answer that, I, um, I'm gonna just, I just wanna say that whenever I go to a minor league game, my favorite uniforms to see are ones with names on the back because when you're trying to get autographs, it's so much easier for it to say, you know, Ruhan on the back. Mohika. Right. Then it is for it to say number two. And then you have to look down at your roster, look at his face. He's like, is this roster the right roster? Because sometimes on MILB.com, it's not always completely accurate. And then you're like, it looks like him, but the number's wrong. So whenever they have the last names on the back, I like that, especially when I was at, um, uh, the Marlins camp on Sunday, all the players who were in uniform had their names on the back. So you would have loved that. Uh, the only ones who didn't were, you know, the pitchers who were, uh, uh, and well, anyone who wasn't playing. So guys like, you know, Fulton, Yuri Perez, Khalil Watson, uh, they were just in sweatshirts. So uh, luckily those guys are easy to identify anyway, especially uh, Yuri Perez, who's six foot eight. But speaking of Watson, he was in a sweatshirt and not a jersey on Sunday because unfortunately, I chose uh, the wrong day to go there in terms of seeing uh, Khalil Watson play. Uh, I did get to see him do an infield drill. So, you know, that was nice. Uh, you know, his mechanics at shortstop looked really good, but I uh, did not get to see him hit. In, in fact, uh, the entrance at Roger Dean Stadium's backfields, where, where you enter is right next to the batting cage. So the second I walked in and like they were ser searching my bag and stuff, I saw Khalil Watson leaving the batting cage. So I probably missed his batting cage session by like five minutes. So, you know, that's just my luck. But I, I did get to see, you know, Victor Mesa Jr. and other guys in the cage. 
And I was talking with Khalil Watson, you know, when I met him, and he expects to start the season in Jupiter with the Hammerheads, which is great for me because okay. the main team I see. So I will have an update for you April 20th uh, when I see him play at Roger Dean. And, you know, I was supposed to go to, uh, you know, at least seven spring training games this year, but as a casualty of the lockout, uh, most of those games got canceled. But I will be going to two games that, you know, I'm sure we will be talking about on the podcast after I go to them. First one is Sunday, April 3rd. You and I are going to be seeing the Orioles at the Twins in Fort Myers, so that'll be really exciting. Hopefully, Rutschman will be in that game. Um, you know, it's the third to last spring game of the year. So if he's going to make the opening day roster, you figured we'd see him play. Um, and then on April 5th, the final spring training day of the year, the New York Mets are coming to West Palm Beach for a 12 o'clock start time against the Nationals. So I will be seeing Juan Soto, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, all the big names from the Mets, hopefully will make the trip. Starling Marte, guys like that. Uh, I don't expect to see, you know, a big pitcher from the Mets because, you know, you can see, uh, you know, you would think DeGrom and Scherzer would not be pitching that close to opening day, of course. But, you know, I should see their number five starter or something. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, obviously, not as many games as I would hope to have gone, but I'm just glad the lockout resolved itself soon enough where I get to go to any games. So, you know. I wonder if these major league game, major league spring training games – that are supposed to have major league players in them won't or will feature them less because they're not limber. They haven't had the full length of spring preparations. I have not been going to Orioles major league camp, but my friend has, and I talk to him every evening. Hi, Alan. And he tells me what the players are doing and like what level of activity the offensive players have been doing, I will just summarize it by saying not a lot. And they have a game, I think, on Friday. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the 19, 20, 20, and 21-year-olds that have been at these hitting camps or these positional special position camps for like been at the complexes for months are going to not only populate these rosters, but be on the field for those spring training innings. If so, prospect people like me and you, we're going to see a lot more of what we usually expect in only like the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting point. I was discussing with, you know, a friend of mine and my dad the other day, like usually the first two weeks of spring training, you know, you'll see Manny Machado have two at-bats. And then by the sixth inning, all the prospects are in, all the non-roster invite guys are in. And I was actually thinking the opposite of you. I was thinking because there are less spring training games than usual, you're going to see all the guys starting as soon as Friday because, you know, there's less games. Usually you're going to have like a full month of games. Now we're having a condensed like three weeks. So I think it's more likely that the major leaguers play in every game. But your uh, point could also definitely be right. I mean, I read an, uh, a tweet I want to say was from Rock Tobacco about uh, – the Orioles players returning to camp in varying different uh, states of conditioning, which is kind of ominous. You know, there was one tweet about like, they'd be lucky to get more than five innings out of a starter. You would assume that does not include John Means, but like, that's not exactly what you want to hear heading into spring training, but you know, 
Um, we'll uh, see it play out. And, uh, you know, as an update, well, here, I mean, where did you go? I always think about the Orioles minor league spring training, and that's where all the talent is. And then their major league spring training, where there's a few guys, Mountcastle means Mullins, you know, so like, when are they going to merge or when is one going to take over as, as some like a rebuildologist, I'm like waiting for the, the minor to take over. Like, when is it going to happen? I know it's going to happen. And even though I'm there every day, I guess I'm going to say it's close, but it's not, it's just not now. The one, the guys that I'm watching, the Cowsers, the Gunners, the, the, the whole catching group, the Creeds, the Kobe's for right now, this, this might be the last time I say it. For, for right now, they're too young. Talk to me in one year from now when things are a little bit different and the desire to win and the, the goal to win is, is prioritized clearly. Like if Mountcastle and Mullins, God forbid, both strain attendant in the first, first game, the season's not over. It wasn't going to be, you know, it was not, the season is about what's happening in Aberdeen and what's happening at Bowie and finally what's happening at, at Delmarva. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun to watch the minor league guys. And I feel like I'm, I'm like missing out on not going to major league camp, but I really am seeing a lot of stuff, a lot of development, a lot of progress, a lot of pitchers, a lot of bodies in much better shape and the trainers and instructors that are, working with them so I guess for anyone that like expects for me to start filming Orioles major league camp or going to their games exclusively that is not going to happen in fact there is a low a and a scrimmage at Northport tomorrow against the Atlanta Braves a and low a and that's where I'm planning on going whether weather permitting so for I mean for all the pomp, all the circumstances, all the headlines, all the trades, the minor league season teams against other teams starts in a matter of hours, just tomorrow morning. I don't know how well I'm going to stay asleep tonight, knowing that I can watch the Delmarva Shorebirds and the Aberdeen Ironbirds play tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And uh, one other thing I'd like to add before we go on uh, Major League Spring Training is another thing that fans have going for them in terms of hopefully seeing as many major leaguers as possible when they go to a spring training game is that all of the games are confined to one coast. Usually, you know, there'd be a couple games where the Orioles come to the East coast or the pirates or the blue Jays, et cetera. You know, the, You're right. I was You're supposed right. to be seeing the pirates this week in Jupiter, but of course that Jupiter. game was canceled. Uh, so, you know, but all the Orioles games are in the Tampa area, the Sarasota area and the Fort Myers area. So, a lot less traveling, which means it's a lot more likely that the major leaguers will be making more trips. Is and, anything um, happening with gas prices right now? Speaking of traveling, I don't know. Maybe we should check that. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, for now, that about wraps it up. Uh, one brief update I'd like to give is that this time next Tuesday, next week, uh, I will be packing my bags and heading to New York for a vacation. So... You know, hopefully between now and then we'll get one more episode, if not two, out there to talk about, you know, whatever transactions happen between now and then. And maybe also a system spotlight, our latest uh, team, which, you know, 
we have some uh, interviews in the works coming up. So definitely stay tuned for that. But uh, Eric, any parting thoughts from you? Uh, I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover. Uh, again, happy birthday. I'm glad you're 18. I look forward to sitting and watching professional baseball with you and your dad uh, in that first week of April. And uh, I guess we'll, we will be back with more minor league information that we obtained from going to minor league events. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. And thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes and peace out.